Well, good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. Yeah, it's great. We're here the first day of the week to celebrate and praise the Lord, and the first day of the year. Yeah, if you, uh, I don't know how many of you stayed up for, to ring in the new year, but whether you did or not, you were up at midnight. I can guarantee you with all, it was like a war zone at my house. <laughs> oh boy. Well, um, please turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10, Matthew chapter 10, and as you're turning there, let me just make a, an observation. Um, I would venture to say that with a group like this size, um, we, we have a variety of different skills and trades that make up our, our church. So, um, like, for, How many of you are possibly teachers? Any teachers in the audience? Yeah, okay, teachers. How many of you are in the medical field? Nurses, doctors, possibly, okay, a, a few. Um, how about... Office work, like clerical work, uh, secretarial work, uh, manager, um, supervisor, any? Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, uh, how about construction, manufacturing, right? Engineering, uh, computing, all kinds of trades and work that, that make up our audience here today. Now, of all these areas each of us works, I, um, I'm sure most of us believe that we're pretty good at what we do. Yeah. Uh, you know, that God had given us the talents to be able to do what we're doing, the skills and strengths to, to, to be in that particular trade. Well, just as true it, it is that, that we all have these, these specific vocations or callings, if you will, based on our God-given talents, as children of God, there is a truth that runs common to us all, and that that we have a specific spiritual vocation, a calling, if you will. As God's children, our, our Father in Heaven has called us to do something that is bigger than ourselves, something that is beyond our abilities, beyond our, our natural talents. But the question that continuously seems to be unanswered throughout our lives as Christians is, what is that spiritual calling? What spiritual calling has God planned specifically for me? Well, many of us Christians struggle to find uh, uh, that specific spiritual calling. And it's as if to say that God has this, a, a different, specific spiritual calling for each and every one of us as believers in Christ, like our, our physical jobs and that we have. But as I see God's biblical instruction for us as believers in Christ, I see that, that God has a plan for us to have one, one common spiritual calling in our life as, as believers. So as we start a new year, 2023, I believe, as all of us, as individuals that make up our church, Grace Community Church, 
the impact that we can have with this one truth that, one, that having one spiritual calling can change us. It, it can change us individually. It can change our church. It can change our home, our family, our neighborhoods, our jobs, our schools, everywhere. It can change our world. The impact of this one truth can bring glory to God and blessings to others. And so that is what I'd like to just encourage us with today as we, as followers of Christ, as we engage on a new year, 2023. And uh, we're going to be at Matthew 10 in just a little bit, but I want to throw up Romans 1 up on the screen because Paul shares with us what he saw his spiritual calling. Let me read it. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Paul says, as a bondservant of Jesus, he is just totally sold out for the Lord. He, he, he is called to be set apart, separated for the gospel of God. To simply put it, Paul saw himself under construction, under construction by God. And I think he saw himself, if I just kind of put it in a, uh, something we can understand, he saw himself as a highway uh, under construction. In fact, let me, let me just turn real quick to Isaiah. You don't have to turn your, in your Bibles, but I'll put them up on the screen here because the prophet Isaiah saw something of the future, a highway of holiness right to the throne of Jesus in the New Jerusalem. And he said it this way, a highway will be there, a roadway, and it will be called the highway of holiness. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for him who walks that way, and fools will not wander on it. <clears throat> Wherever Paul went through his ministry, he wanted to lead people right to that throne of Jesus, like a highway. And as followers of Christ, today in our church age, like Paul, we should all be highways right to the throne of Jesus, highways that are under construction. Well, let's talk about highways for a little bit. We're all familiar here in, in, in Southern California of highways, right? I travel to Orange County at least once a week, and uh, I, I get the infamous 405 and the 22, always under construction. You know, it's just, uh, it, it's been under construction, uh, 405 is, I think, two years at least, three years maybe. It's still going to be under construction. You, you go into the Inland Empire, like the San Bernardino Freeway and the Foothill Freeway, the 210 and the 10, I mean, it's under construction as well. And, of course, yeah, I, love, I love our 91 15 interchange. Isn't that great? It's been under construction forever. You know, and, and uh, the reason, though, I mean, you hope anyways, the reason they're under construction is to help ease the way of the through traffic, right? To, to hopefully allow traffic to flow easier with the purpose of getting to your destination a little bit easier. Well, so too, as, as Christians, we are under construction to ease the way of the lost, to reach that one 
specific eternal destination, Jesus, Jesus Christ. And this highway under construction in us, I believe, is our spiritual calling. It is not just for for some of his children, but for all of us who claim for Jesus to be our Lord and Savior. You know, the the Bible teaches that uh, we've all sinned, right? We've all missed the mark uh, of God's glory. We're all sinners. And because of that, we're falling short of, of God's perfect righteousness. We are all destined to be separated from God for eternity to a place called hell, eternal judgment, because of our sin, saying things that we shouldn't say, doing things that we shouldn't do, and thinking things that we shouldn't think. But God sent his one and only son to earth, the the perfect sacrifice, never sinned once, the lamb to, to be slaughtered on the cross for our sins. And we didn't deserve it. It's a gift to us. By his grace and his mercy, he paid in full what we deserved right there on that cross. And as a result, if anyone who puts his faith, their, their faith in, in that provision of the, him dying for our sins, we have assurance to be with him forever and ever. And so as believers that believe in that, that gospel message... As believers, the Apostle Paul says, we are God's highway under construction. And this is every Christian spiritual calling to be set apart for the gospel. Sure, I'm sure some of us would like to believe, like, you know, Paul was just different. You know, the reason Paul could be who he was, because he was different. But the fact is, he was a person just like you and I. He's flesh and blood, just like you and I. Yes, it's true that he may have had specific qualities uh, unique to him. And yes, the method of how God specifically called Paul to fulfill the purpose of being set apart was unique. It was unique, right, for that time. But it was his calling. His calling is our calling. And, our, and that calling is to be set apart for the good news of Jesus. Listen, I want you to listen to, to how Paul addresses the Corinthian church. Okay, I'll just throw it up on the screen here. We're going to get to Matthew 10, though. Don't worry. Okay, uh, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. That word sanctified means those who have been separated separated from, from profane things like our sin, and dedicated to God who is holy. Paul also said to his apprentice Timothy, Pastor Timothy, he said this in, in 2 Timothy, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Paul says to Timothy, join with me. Join with me in, in suffering for the gospel. 
God who has, has saved us has also called us to a holy calling, Paul says to Timothy. This whole holy calling involves us to be, to be separated or set apart from the rest of the world, set apart and made holy according to God's power and purpose. You know what I, I find interesting, if we just think about that word separated in Romans 1.1, that I brought up earlier, I mean, it can be interpreted as really a, like marked off, like, like a, a line in the sand or maybe even a wall of separation, um, like a boundary of some sort in order to be appointed to a particular purpose. And that purpose we see throughout the pages of the Bible is to proclaim the good news of Jesus to the lost. In fact, uh, Peter's said this to, uh, to the, the saints, those who believe in Jesus, that were scattered all over Asia Minor, our, uh, our modern-day Turkey. He said this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Second Peter 2.9. Peter says we are a people for God's own possession so that he equips us and then he, he tools us in our construction as a highway to holiness, a highway to Jesus. So unlike our, our different physical jobs that we have to sustain us in regards to our, our, our lives, with food and shelter and clothing, as Christ followers, believers in Christ, we have one spiritual calling, and that is to be set apart as a highway to Jesus, a highway that is under construction to holiness. Now, hopefully you found Matthew 10, right? Okay. Uh, as you're hopefully there, uh, I'm going to read, uh, starting with verse one of Matthew 10, but let me just kind of give you a little context uh, preceding chapter 10. Jesus, uh, his ministry is in, in full bloom, uh, running at, at full speed. He has already chosen his, his 12 disciples. He is going from city to village to city to village throughout Israel, healing, casting out demons, feeding the masses, and proclaiming salvation. And upon seeing these multitudes, Jesus um, has distress in regards to, he sees the distress that these people have. They're like lost sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus has compassion as a result of their distress. And, and at the end of Matthew 9, he calls his 12 disciples together. Hey, say, hey, come on in. I need to give a little powwow to you guys. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, he says to his apostles. The harvest is, is speaking of those ready to hear the good news. And the workers are the faithful followers of Jesus. So the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And as a result of that, Jesus saying that, to his apostles, 
Then he says to them, because of that, I, I beg of you, I beseech you, I implore you to pray and fast for the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. So if you are you there, verse, verse 1, and we're going to pick it up at verse 1. Because this, this really kind of gives us a good example in Scripture of God's calling of his followers into action. Verse 1, chapter 10 of Matthew. Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these. The first, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out after instructing them, do not go in the way of the Gentiles and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, so Jesus summons his twelve apostles uh, and he gives them authority. He gives them authority with strict instructions uh, where to go and uh, which, you know, and who to go to, which is unique, right, for that time and that place. But they were specifically and most importantly called to proclaim that the kingdom of God is at hand. And so, skipping down to verse 16 of chapter 10, follow along with me. Behold, I send you, this is Jesus speaking, Behold, I send you as sheep in the midst of the wolves to be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues, and you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake and as a testimony to them to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given to you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Okay, let me just throw up verse 16 that we just read. Um, I want you to notice something here. The, The contrast of imagery that Jesus uses to describe his apostles um, that are separated from the world. Jesus likens his team of men, these 12 apostles, as sheep. Sheep. And then he contrasts them to stand against a world made up of wolves. Wolves representing all those who, who do not believe, and specifically, probably at this time and place, It was the the religious leaders, Jewish religious leaders of that time. But wolves representing all those who do not believe in Jesus as their Savior and Master. And Jesus is sending them out. He's sending them out as sheep to go into the midst of wolves. The world has always been hostile toward believers. I mean, we've had a brief little window here in the United States, America, for 250 years where 
things of the government and things of our, our laws have been kind of lined up with godly uh, morals and so forth. But you can see it's starting to, starting to change. And, but the rest of the world has been like this for thousands of years. So the world is hostile towards believers. And it's not hostile, you know, just by happen chance. No. They have a purpose. It's a purpose to be hostile. Wolves are intentional when they want to harm sheep. Don't you think? They want to inflict pain on us as sheep. That's what they do. So it's the obvious right now, then, the question is about, um, comes to mind, well, how, Jesus is going to send us out into, into this, to these non-believers that are wolves. Um, we're just but a bunch of sheep, and they're wolves. They're going to destroy us. So the question is, uh, comes to us as sheep, uh, you know, how are we going to effectively do what God has called us to do, to represent the gospel, um, without being prey ourselves? And so Jesus gives a, another contrasting picture of how we sheep are, are to be like while in the midst of a hostile world of wolves. Jesus says we sheep are to be shrewd as serpents. Shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Jesus used this common, well-known view of serpents, snakes, and doves. A serpent is subtle or shrewd or discerning or, or astute. Serpents or snakes have always been a symbol of wisdom. And that wisdom was for the knack to recognize danger so that they could actually avoid the danger. I mean, no animal equals a snake in their skill and their quickness to escape danger. So those who are summoned or called with authority to proclaim the kingdom of God need to be wise, astute by having a, a, a knack for caution, to see when danger is coming so we can avoid it, to be cautious in the midst of the world that is seeking our lives. And as God's sheep, we must stop assuming that wolves think the same way that we sheep think. Now, the dove is a symbol of innocence and gentleness. Doves are harmless. They, they, they never provoke danger. No one runs away from a, a, a dove. Everyone wants to be around a dove, right? Because they do not cause a threat at all. There's no risk of, of injury being around a dove. So those who are summoned or called with authority to proclaim the kingdom of God, Jesus says, not only need to be cautious and have wisdom in regards to danger to avoid it, they also need to be harmless, never provoking danger to those that God puts in front of us and that we encounter. So it's obvious that in order to fulfill this calling like this, I mean, one must have some sort of skill, right? Jesus wouldn't just throw us out there uh, and sheep in the midst of a world of seeking to devour us. 
and have no ability, no skills to protect us from these, uh, these wolves, to, to be able to be like a wise serpent and innocent as a dove? So the question then is, how, how does Jesus give us believers the confidence and the source from which to acquire this, this skill to be a wise and shrewd snake and a gentle, innocent dove? We'll look at verse 20 that we read. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. God's Holy Spirit that indwells in each and every one of us Christians that, that put our faith in Christ. It's God's Holy Spirit. That's how. This is how we, we gain the confidence to be a wise and gentle sheep among wolves. God's Holy Spirit. I mean, that's our seal, right? That's our guarantee of our salvation and our trainer. You know, because Jesus himself was on planet Earth, he, he modeled and he trained his disciples. In fact, at this point in, in the ministry, it was probably two years of training to the, before he sent out his apostles, as we read. Um, but today, Jesus is in heaven. However, we have the Holy Spirit. We have the, the heart of Jesus living in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And coupled with his word, we have enough to train us and model before us how to fulfill our calling. So, whether you believe that you have the tools or the equipment to fulfill this whole calling, according to God's purpose, really is not the issue, is it? Because God is the one that is setting us apart. He will send us out when we are ready for the purpose of proclaiming the gospel. Now, chapter 10 does reveal to us God just transforming 12 lowly, ordinary men into this bold witness for Jesus. And these ordinary, they're just ordinary guys, just like you and I. Ordinary people, they had jobs, they, that they used their strengths and so forth. And yet, what God did with these 12 men, I mean, turned the world upside down in that first century. And he, came, he can do the same for us. He can do the same amazing things with you and me in 2023. However, I have a warning a warning. One thing that we must actually keep in our minds that the, the focus is not about us. It's not about our, our personal holiness. If we keep our eyes focused on our own personal holiness of, of God changing us, we will never, ever get close to fulfilling our calling. To focus all our energies and our personal holiness is to focus on what God can do for me instead of what I can do for God and for others. And if there's one common you know, failure 
us Christians fall prey to is this, to desire our own personal holiness above the desire to get to know God or get to know others to get to know God. In fact, Jesus made this clear when he defined what is eternal life. He said this to his apostles the night before he was to to hang on a cross for the sins of the world. He said this in John 17, 3. This is eternal life, that they, he's referring to all believers, followers of Christ, may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. To know Jesus and how he lived, knowing his love, his compassion, is what will give us the ability to fulfill our calling. When we get to know God, God puts within us this passion for the lost. My friends, this passion is one of the tools that God equips us with to build us as a highway to his holiness. So our calling is, in just a quick review, uh, one, we are to be separated for the gospel of God, to be used as a highway to holiness, a highway that is under construction to ease the way for others to come to Jesus. And two, and as one of those, uh, uh, as one of who's being fulfilled, uh, our calling, being that highway, to being set apart, we must see ourselves as sheep, and, along with these wolves, amongst wolves. We must see that, ourselves that, that way. Because it's the only way we're actually going to see a need to be trained by God's Holy Spirit. To be trained as a wise serpent. And to be gentle as a dove. And three... As a highway under construction, we must get to know God. We must get to know Him. Our ability to fulfill our calling depends on our relationship with Jesus. For knowing God through His Word is how we are trained to see the heart of God, His compassion and His love for the lost through that indwelling Holy Spirit that lives within us. Now, the separation process. Be set apart to draw that line in the sand. It it starts and ends with us. That's right. It starts and ends with us. Let me just give you an example of what I mean. Take my right hand, okay? My right hand, it represents my physical strengths and talents that I am actually born with, okay? Uh, when I'm asked to do something, uh, when it has to do with like my, my job or my career, uh, you know, I use my strength. I use my right hand all the time because those are the talents and, and the skills that God has given me to use. Um, so when, like, say, my boss or somebody tells me, uh, Chuck, you, know, you need to... Sign your name. Well, of course, I'm going to write, use my right hand, right? That's my strength. I can do that really well. 
There, my right hand. It's my strength, okay? But now my left hand um, it represents my weakness, okay? And when God asks me to fulfill my calling to, to be separated, okay, from the rest of the world, and he asks me, okay, Chuck, you need to sign your name. He'll say, but use your left hand, okay? I don't want you to use your strength. Use your left hand. So, Okay, all right. I did, I did, Lord. I, I used my left hand. Isn't that great? Now you know why I don't want to fulfill my calling, right? Because I can't do that. I can't do it, Lord. See? See, God wants to use our weaknesses for two reasons. One, so we can trust him to help us through the where and who he has called us to minister to, for his glory and his purpose. Okay? That's one reason he wants for us to use our weakness. Second reason, so that we don't take the glory. That he gets the glory. Because when I use my strength, guess what I'm, I'm doing? Look at me, man. Look how great I am. I did that. But... I can't take any glory in that, can I? So therefore, if, if we want to fulfill our calling of being separated for the gospel, we must allow God to develop and strengthen our weaknesses. And sadly, this is where many of us Christians end their calling right then and there. What we often say to ourselves and to God, hey, I can't do that. There's no way I can do that. Let me uh, give you an example biblically. Turn your Bibles to Exodus. Okay, Exodus chapter 3. And uh, as you're turning there, let me just kind of set the scene of what we're going to read. I mean, most of you know the story of, of Moses, right? Um, and that's what we're going to read here. It's probably one of the clearest examples of God setting apart and changing someone in order to fulfill his calling of proclaiming the kingdom of God. It's through Moses. Uh, the story, to set it up, is, hey, you know, the, the Hebrews live amongst the Egyptians. Mass population is growing and growing. Pharaoh gets a little fearful, and he says, hey, you've got to start killing. The, mid, the midwives, you've got to start killing all these baby boys so they don't overtake us. Um, and so... Moses' parents don't want Moses to be killed, so they hide him away, they put him in a wicker basket, float him on the Nile, and of course, you know the story, right? Uh, the Pharaoh's daughter finds him, she wants to keep him. Moses was raised then for, so, as an Egyptian for 40 years, his first 40 years. Well, then he is forced to flee Egypt for his life because of his killing an Egyptian soldier to defend a, Hebrew, a fellow Hebrew brother or slave. And so he settles in the land of Midian and becomes a, a shepherd, a husband, a father for the next 40 years of his life. And then one day, while pasturing his flock, God appears to him in, in the, the burning bush. You remember that, right? 
the infamous burning bush that never burns, that never gets consumed. God calls Moses to free his people from Egyptian bondage. So now that sets it up. So follow with me at verse 11, chapter 3, verse 11, chapter 3, okay, after God asks him, okay, to call him to free the uh, Hebrews from Egyptian slavery. We have here verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh that I would bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, God said, Certainly I will be with you, and this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers who sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Okay. So, after God assures Moses that he's going to be there with him when he goes to the Pharaoh to free, free the Hebrews from bondage, in verse 1 of chapter 4, uh, we have Moses' response. I'll just throw it up on the screen. You can see it in your Bibles as well. Moses says, well, what if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say to the, the Lord has not appeared to you. So then God answers Moses, and he, he answers with miracles. You know, the staff turning into a snake, and the snake turning back into the staff, and then his leprous hand, uh, or his hand going from leprosy to healthy again. And as a result of those miracles, right, we have another response. Those miracles were to prove that, hey, you know, I, I'm going to be with you. I can do anything. And in verse 10 of chapter 4, we see Moses' response. Please, Lord, I, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So then after God assures Moses that he will give him the actual words to speak to Pharaoh, Moses then again responds in verse 13. Please, Lord, now send the message by whomever you will. <laughs> Just not me. <laughs> and so in anger, actually, God got angry. And he allowed his brother Aaron, Moses' brother Aaron, to be this Moses' spokesman. Does Moses sound like anything, anybody you know? Yeah, of course. Me. <laughs> yeah. It's like an argument going back and forth between God and ourselves, right? We see it right here in Scripture. Absolutely. God asked Moses to, to use his left hand to sign his name, so to speak. He asked him to, to use something that he is weak in to fulfill his calling and purpose of being separated. With the promise though, that God gave him and uh, that God equipping Moses to do his calling 
along with Moses' permission to give God to, to change him, he became the great leader and speaker of the nation of Israel. And God can do the same with you and me if we give him permission. We give him permission to change us, uh, to trust in him, to give him permission to, or to be obedient to the call to change us will allow him to develop us and strengthen us in our weak areas of our lives for the purpose of our calling, to, to be set apart for the gospel, for the lost of world. You know, this happened to me. After a 20-year career in the aerospace industry, where I had been using my right hand all the time, my strengths, crunching numbers, you know, and making mechanical drawings and, and documents to build missiles, yeah? And then God asks me to change my career to be a pastor here at Grace Community Church, all right? He says, Chuck, use your left hand now. Use your left hand by speaking, writing, and counseling, and teaching in order to build ministries. Of course, like Moses, my first response to God was, hey, I'm sorry, Lord, I'm, that's not for me. Do you understand who you're talking to here? I can't be a pastor. Use someone else. And as you know, thankfully, God did not give up on me. Listen, when God is at the helm of your life, it doesn't matter what we do we don't, it doesn't matter the activity that he assigns us to, the method of whatever, to be separated by God. He's at the helm, and we can trust in him. I want to just throw up a, a few verses as we kind of wrap it up here today. Uh, these verses, I, I want you to, when I put them up here, I want you to ask this, this question. Uh, of these verses. How does this passage help us understand the work of God must do to develop and strengthen our weaknesses? Okay, the first verse I'm going to throw up here is Matthew 8. Or, I'm sorry, Psalm 8, verse 2. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. So, what is it that God has to do in us to get our weaknesses um, to fulfill our calling? Well, I want you to notice the psalmist first describes us, uh, God's children, he describes us as weak infants and nursing babes. That's pretty weak, right? And God still establishes and strengthens our, our mouths, even as infants and babes, to cease the enemies from attack those wolves in the world. Okay, here's another one in 1 Corinthians. How does God, what does God have to do to uh, develop us and strengthen us in our weaknesses? But 1 Corinthians 1.27 says, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. I want you to notice, as Paul describes... The chosen followers here, God's chosen followers, he describes us as weak and foolish. And yet God still uses us to shame 
the wise and the strong. The wise and strong things of this world. The wolves, right? Of this world. Here's another one, 2 Corinthians 3, 5. Now that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Paul describes where adequacies come from. Uh, They come from God. Not from our our, our physical talents and, and strengths, but from God. One last one, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And he has said to me, this is Paul, the Apostle Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weaknesses. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Paul prayed three times that God would remove what he called a thorn in the flesh, some sort of physical ailment that uh, was limiting Paul from doing his ministry, maybe to his liking. And God answered Paul. He said, no. No. So that his power, God's power, can be seen through his weaknesses, not through his strengths. So, as we start a new year, 2023. I just want you to remember this. As as followers of Christ, uh, our calling is to be separated for the gospel. It's to be separated for the gospel of God and to be used as a highway under construction to his holiness. A highway that leads right to the throne of, of Christ. For Jesus is sending us out. He is. The harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. He's sending us out just like he did the 12 disciples. He's sending us out just like he did Moses. And he's sending us out just like he did the Apostle Paul. So let us not use the same old excuse. That's just not me, Lord. I can't do that. Because you know why? We do have the tools and the skills to be, to be called for the gospel. We do. Because we have the grace of God through Jesus Christ, the indwelling Holy Spirit living in us. And, of course, we've got plenty of weaknesses, don't we, that God can strengthen through his perfect power. So, for this new year, just think about that. As we go through, and we could change the world. We could, we could change Grace Community Church. We could change uh, our communities, our neighborhoods as well. And so, but if you're here today and you're probably thinking, well, I don't even, I, I don't, I'm not sure I even know God. I'm not even sure I, I have a relationship with God. Well, then, as I explained earlier in my message today, the gospel's for you. The gospel is for you. Jesus died for you, for your sins, and and it's, it's simple. All you have to do is ask him to come into your life. Acknowledge the fact that you're a sinner. Acknowledge the fact that you need him, that you cannot be good in any way yourself, only through his 
poured out blood and, and body on that cross that saved you from your sins. And so I'd like to give everybody an opportunity. If you're here today and you're not sure whether you know Christ, then just close your eyes, bow your heads, everybody. And if that's you, maybe you could just say something like this, a, a prayer. It, there's nothing specific or holy about the words I'm about to say. It's just where your heart is. And you could say something like, Lord, I am a sinner. I know I need you. I know that you can save me from my sins, and, and I want you to come in. I want to receive you as my Lord and Savior and, and lead me, be my master of my life. And maybe you're here today as a Christian, a follower of Christ, and, and you've been struggling with, with your calling. You've been struggling as to whether you... Um, where are you going to, you're, you're placed and, and the purpose of where God wants you. Well, maybe you just need to let him change you. And you could say a simple little prayer as well by just saying, Lord, I, I'm sorry. I want to I let you, I want to give you permission to change me. I want to I fulfill that calling, that purpose that you have for me. Please, Lord, help me to do that. Lord, we, we thank you for this hour that we can just open up your word and sing praises to you and thank you for your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.